give the silence, Margaret. I think my family is afraid that they died in the accident and now we enter heaven. <laughs> Coming up, you'll be in podcast heaven as you listen to our film and food review of the 2014 movie, The Hundred Foot Journey. everyone to the Film and Food Podcast. I'm your host Chris Roberts and thank you again for joining us for episode 4. We've been absolutely loving making this podcast. We've been loving hearing that some of you are out there listening and enjoying and sharing it with friends and writing reviews. We're just blown away by the response that we've had so far. We are just a humble little podcast right at the beginning of our journey and so thank you for joining us and listening. We really, really appreciate it and we hope you enjoy it, you get something out of it and you're inspired to watch more movies and get cooking. So we are back this week with another film and food review and if this is your first time on the podcast, let me quickly explain what that means. We review a film for both its culinary and its cinematic quality and we do this in three different segments. First we look at the menu, giving an intro and some initial thoughts about the movie. Then it's time to dine. This is where we dive into the meat of the film, as it were, giving our full review and giving our deep insights on the themes and the characters and every single bit about the movie. We do this in three parts. We start with our highlights. We always start with the positive here at the Film and Food Podcast, so we give our highlights of the movie. Then we give our favorite film moments, and then we give our favorite food moments before we give you our film-inspired recipe of the week. This is where we give you a recipe based off the film for you to try at home. Then we wrap things up in a bow and we give our compliments to the chef. This is where we give our concluding thoughts and ratings. Every film and food review, I have a guest on the podcast and I'm excited to say that my lovely wife, Bethany, is back again two episodes in a row to share her insights with us on this week's film. So I'm going to pass it over to our conversation as we talk about getting a little bit better audio quality and what happened on last week's episode, as well as just our thoughts on what this movie is that we're reviewing this week, which is the 2014 film, The 100 Foot Journey. Beth, you're back. I'm back. Two episodes in a row. Yep, I'm ready. Now, hopefully you're hearing us both a little bit more loudly and clearly. We're both trying to enunciate more. Hopefully you don't hear our dishwasher in the background. Or... Our weird neighbour upstairs who just is either playing Call of Duty or doing a vigorous exercise routine. We hope it's Call of Duty. Yes, we do. We are here to watch another movie. We are. This is our very first listener request for the podcast. It is. It's exciting. So thank you, Susanna, for suggesting this movie, The 100 Foot Journey. That is what we are reviewing today. Beth, have you seen this? I have seen it. I've seen it once. I remember it was good. I can't remember too much about it. Okay, so you're going fairly blind. I haven't seen this movie either. Yeah, I I can't remember too much. Apart from that, that, yes, there is good food and there is Helen Mirren. And, um, yeah, I believe they live on houses across the street. But I can't remember much more than that. Sounds good. As long as it's good good food, good film, that's what we're about. Um, yes. Yeah, so obviously before we were referring to last episode, there was a couple of moments where our voices 
faded out into the distance. Into the background. Yes, that was awkward. I think we're starting our recording a little bit earlier this time because I think, Beth, you're a little bit sleepy. Yeah, I was. did end up with my head at the wrong side of the couch, um, falling asleep and was awakened to give my review of the podcast, but um, didn't actually move any closer to the microphone. Yeah. So hopefully you get another amazing episode with our voices nice and loud and clear. Yes. A bit, a bit closer to the mic, a bit more awake. But thanks for sticking with us. We're having lots of fun. I hope you're enjoying, uh, hope you're enjoying it. We're enjoying it. We're loving it. It's awesome. So... You know, we, I've got a new mic coming uh, on the way. First ever proper podcasting mic. That'll be good. So that will be good. Up the quality a little bit. Um, For you your know, listening pleasure. Yeah. We're, we're going to, you know, we've this will be three movies in a row that are somewhat set in Paris, I believe. Which Yeah, French. French, which, I mean, they lead the way in cooking. So Controversial. Well. You'll find out. Okay, yeah, well, maybe that's the plot <laughs> of the movie. Amazing. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll watch other things. Other guests will come. but More recommendations, please. Yeah, please. Want to be a guest, please get in touch. Um, or I will come and get in touch with you if I know who you are. Let's get into it. Let's do it. So, this is our film and food review of the 2014 film The 100 Foot Journey. Let's look at the menu. Released in 2014, The Hundred Foot Journey is directed by Swedish director Lassie Hallström and written by Stephen Knight. You might know director Lassie Hallström from his previous films. Some of his well-known films include Some of his more well-known films include What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Chocolat, The Cider House Rules, and more recently Salmon Fishing in the Yemen and Dear John. The film stars a wide cast including Helen Mirren, Om Puri, Manish Dayal, Charlotte Le Bon, Amit Shah, and Farzana Duwala Alahe. The plot is as follows. After tragedy befalls the Kadam family in India, they leave for France, where they open a restaurant directly across the road from Madame Mallory's Michelin-starred restaurant. Well, there is a distance, a distance of 100 feet. The film follows the rivalry and relationship between the two restaurants and the two very different and distinct cultures clashing in that small French town. Well, we mentioned this at the end of our last episode, our film and food review of Julie and Julia. So if you haven't checked that out, go and do so. Plus our first episode on Ratatouille and our second episode on my top 10 films of 2019. But we mentioned that this is in fact a listener request. Susanna Hoffman requested this via Instagram, this movie, The 100 Foot Journey, for us to review. And so we're very excited to say that this is our first listener requested episode of the podcast. So what does this mean? It means that we want more requests. You can get in touch with us via our email, which is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com or on any of our social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We would be so, so thrilled to hear from you and we are really up for anything to review on this podcast. So please give us your recommendations, give us your thoughts. We want more interaction and we love it. So that is why we're reviewing this movie because we've heard great things and we've had it recommended to us. Well, before we go and move on to our next segment, I have to tell you that we are about to dive into our review, and it's going to be chock full of spoilers as per usual. So we're going to spoil everything about this movie. We're going to talk about it in depth. So if you haven't watched this movie, go and do so. 
Um, we watch this on YouTube movies on our smart TV, so there is plenty of ways you can watch it. Go watch this movie, but otherwise, if you don't mind being spoiled, spoilers ahead. We're going to dive into this review, so now that we've set the scene and we've looked at the menu, it's time to dine. Well, you didn't have to take a 100-foot journey to get to our review. You just had to keep on listening. So well done and welcome to the review. And sorry for that poor joke, but that's the best I can do at this stage of the game. We are headed in to talk about this film in depth. So as per usual, we always start with our highlights. Well, we don't hesitate to talk about all aspects of a film, including some of its weaknesses, but we're about the positive here on the Film and Food podcast so we are going to start with our highlights, and I'm going to pass it over to our conversation between Beth and myself on some of our highlights from this movie. Well, tell me your highlights. Well, the food, obviously. Mm-hmm. I really, it's the Indian food I want to eat, not the molecular gastronomy. Mm. French food, yep, it's good, but it's, it's the beginning when they first opened their restaurant mm. um, and mm. just... All those amazing, the amount of variety, I think, it just it's just so impressive. It's not something I can recreate at home, like having, um, you know, eight little silver bowls, each with some incredible involved dish inside. That's, that's just awesome. And I can imagine how great it would be to eat. Yep. Uh, I tried to look up his favourite dish that his mother would make. He described it as a fermented dal with mm. flour fried. When I type this in, I'm getting like that it's some kind of dosa even, which is what uh. I was almost what I was trying to make the other day with an like an appam, but flat. So it's a a lentil and perhaps even rice flour mix. It's different to what I envisioned. I thought he was talking more about a fritter. Mm. Um, but perhaps that could go on the list. Things to make. Things to make. I don't know. Make. I guess if it was one of those memories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm not going to make the sea urchin. No. Definitely not. But, I mean, yeah, it would be very hard to get one. And, and beautiful scenery. Beautiful scenery, yes. Costume's um, great. Costume's great. I really liked the... I really liked the like rivalry scenes. I thought those were fun. Like the little montage of them, you know, she's saying that their chickens aren't vaccinated and yeah. he's saying they are vaccinated and they're tit for tat. What's it? Tick for tack? Tit for tat. Yeah. Yeah. They're going back and forwards trying to get each other. Um, and that does remind me because I, I was going to have a complaint and say that the young couple their story is not as strong actually as um Mm. but the beginning with the bike riding coming back each day in the picnic and actually they do have some backstory it's not just a yeah a one-off i guess there's that estrangement and then and then they reconcile but they did have some build in there i'd just forgotten about it they did they did have a bit of build in there yeah well that is a lot of great highlights already but i just want to talk about a couple more One of my highlights of this movie is just the fun, unique, different characters that only show up for a couple of scenes but really make an impact. One of them for me is the mayor of the town. We only see the mayor of the town in a couple of scenes, usually when he's dealing with the complaints or talking to Madame Mallory 
or Papa about their restaurants and their feud between the two restaurants that are 100 feet apart. Whenever we see him, he's eating food and being admonished by his wife, being being given death stares or being criticized by his wife for eating so much. And so listen as I reflect on that. The inspector. Is the he, mayor, I the, think. Oh, he's the mayor because he just loves to eat. But then his wife just admonishes him with looks because he's like, <laughs> eat. what was it the other time he the, was eating right after him. breakfast? Yeah. You just ate. <laughs> what a man. We, he can come on the podcast yeah. if he was a we'll real Yeah, invite person. him. <laughs> okay. okay, so the mayor, like, you just... The mayor. I love the mayor. He's like, he doesn't have, he hasn't had lines for a while, mm. but he's just in this shot eating <laughs> something, being chastised by his wife. Incredible. <laughs> the poor man. He's amazing. So I always had a giggle every time he showed up in this movie. Another of my favourite little characters is one of the chefs in Madame Mallory's restaurant whose only two scenes that he gets a speaking line is him walking in late. And so I thought that was hilarious and Beth and I had a funny conversation about how he must have auditioned to get that role. It's like I cast the one chef movie who's walked in like two or three times is late. That's just his character. That's just his character. He's the late guy. Imagine that. Imagine we'll going... see what he comes up well, in as the credits. Well, is I've... he late chef? Yeah, that would be amazing. But imagine going to the audition for late chef. Like I if hope you he was late. To exactly, exactly. If you turned up early to your audition, you'd be like, "You're fired. You're not getting the role. You're meant to be late." <laughs> you just got to practice. You know the whole little like, you know, like yeah. shrugging, like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late." Amazing. So I love those little details like that in a film. Little characters that could have been so easily run-of-the-mill and you would have never noticed them. They give them little flourishes of personality and little details that make the audience chuckle and just make that film a little bit richer. Just like a little herb or a spice on a dish. It's just a little sprinkling of some extra quirky characters. I'm always a big fan. So that was a little highlight for me. A little. I also loved a couple of food scenes that linked back to some of our previous episodes. So we saw another amazingly cooked fish in this movie that helped us flash back to watching the amazing deboned fish in Julie and Julia. Talk about a good looking fish. Beautiful. It's on a bed of um, dal perhaps and it's a beautiful whole fish and just looks gorgeous. You just get amazing fish from the Film and Food podcast it seems. We had the amazing deboned fish at the beginning of Julie and Julia. Now this one. Beautiful. Just cook more fish. And in this movie, Hassan also cooks his version of the beef bourguignon. So, of course, that takes us back to our previous episode as well, because that was our film-inspired recipe we gave you at home. What? Uh-huh. It's his version. Beef bourguignon is in this movie too. Yeah, it's iconic. I know. It's blown my mind. <laughs> what? I thought I, I thought I knew that dish. Yeah, it's the, um, the fancy presented version. Mm. So I always love when a movie has dishes that we've cooked and that we've talked about on the podcast. It makes me happy, and so it flashes back to that episode. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to our Julie and Julia movie review episode three. It's a great movie. It's a great podcast episode go do it okay we've talked about our highlights now we're going to talk about our favorite film moments so the hundred foot journey 
is exactly what the title says it is. It is a battle between two different restaurants. We have the Kadam family who have encountered lots of struggles and hardship and have reached France where they open up their new Indian restaurant bought across the road from Madame Mallory's one Michelin star French eatery that is so well known in the area that even the minister dines at this restaurant. And so the movie follows these two restaurants. We have so we have Marguerite who is a young French chef who we find out later works in Madame Mallory's restaurant who first helps out this family when the brakes on their van fail and they end up stuck in that French town. She's the one that provides them with the place to stay and soon enough she finds out that she is rivals with Hassan who is the lead chef at his family's restaurant. We have of course Madame Mallory played by Helen Mirren who is the owner of this eatery and who we find out has lost her husband but has also run a restaurant out of town which was the one that the Kadam family eventually buys across the road. She is definitely 100% opposed to this Indian restaurant coming into play. There's obviously a big cultural difference between Indian food and Indian culture and French culture and French food and so there is some arrogance, there's some pride and there's some snobbery that comes up um, in between these two families and also on the Kadam family we have Papa played by played by Om Puri who is equally as stubborn as Helen Mirren's Madame Mallory and who is the wily businessman, wily trader, wily negotiator who who is willing to do anything in any way to get his restaurant off the ground and while I'm talking about it I just want to share a really funny scene that Beth and I laughed out loud how Papa takes in uh, a passerby's dog and asks if he wants something to drink thereby leading this couple into his restaurant and soon enough you know more people are coming in <laughs> that's marketing for you that is marketing he just picked up their dog and just said i'll feed your dog and walks into his restaurant <laughs> well no he talks to the dog and says i'll feed you something yeah. <laughs> he's so cute <laughs> uh, that's one way to do it amazing here we go this is the start of something good and so that is what this movie and this script is lassie halstrom i haven't seen his other movies and i'm only going off what his critical consensus is but based off his track record he's had a fairly up and down run and his movies tend to be these heartfelt and potentially overly sentimental pieces but this movie is fun it has great characters it has a great ensemble performance helen mirren leads the way and her French accent is somewhat dubious, but if you leave that all behind, if you're going in to have a really great time, you're not going to be disappointed. Is this script by Stephen Knight one of the best scripts written in the year 2014? Probably not, but it's full of one-liners, it's full of great food scenes, the characters grow, and it really does tackle with this theme of snobbery in around food. Again, very similar to our last two movies we've watched about, Ratatouille and Julie and Julia, snobbery and gatekeeping of different cuisines and different ways of eating and different styles of culture is always the theme. And it seems like a big trend in food and film movies that a compelling story is always to be made when characters have to abandon their pride, abandon their gatekeeping and really just encounter different perspectives, different voices and diverse opinions and ranges on all sorts of different things, but particularly food, and 
they grow as people when they learn to accept the diversity and the and the differences out there in food, in life, in culture, in everything. And and that is a really good theme for life. If we just listen to voices that we agree with, if we just eat food that doesn't take us out of our comfort zone, if we just do things that keep us safe and in our comfort zone, if we don't listen to diverse voices or engage in culture in a way that is open and empathetic and where we're willing to learn, I think that's when we become prideful and arrogant and we shut ourselves off from the, the wonder of the diverse world that is out there for us to enjoy, especially in food and film movies. And that really is the journey of Helen Mirren's Madame Mallory. We see that, yes, she's struggling with loss and grief, losing her husband, and I can't imagine how hard it would be to lose Beth. So you have to give her grace for that. But the way she treats the Kadam family is is downright rude and mean-spirited. She believes that her restaurant is the best, that she knows what good food is, and that the French have mastered food above any other culture or any other race, and almost believes that they are the only ones, the French are the only ones to cook. And we have this distinct battle between the two different restaurants as as the music at the Kadam family restaurant clashes with the quiet, almost sterile environment of Madame Mallory's restaurant. The contrast between abundance, festivity, abundance and festivity of the Maison Mumbai with its, you know, multiple jars of spices and dipping breads and all the little dishes. And then you go to Helen Mirren's French restaurant and what was like four dots on a plate. Yeah, a little blob of green stuff. That's it. I know what I'd be going to. Music and waiters in suits fallen asleep already (laughs) we have the Taj Mahal decorations that she fights to get taken down they have the Kadam family has their restaurant graffitied and they have it almost burnt down in that humans can do some awful things in the name of gatekeeping or in the name of defending their own pride and their own thoughts if they're not open and they're not willing to accept other people's thoughts and opinions and Admittedly, Papa Gadam, the papa of the family. I love his character. He's one of my favourite characters in the whole movie. The dad's my favourite character. Yeah, he's a legend. I'm a big fan. <laughs> but I just love his stubborn ways, the way he fights for his family, the way he's willing to do anything unapologetically to get his family ahead. And admittedly, both families, you know, we follow the Kadam family, and so we're rooting for them, obviously, to have their restaurant have success in this French town and beat Madame Mallory's restaurant. But it is a successful part of the screenplay that as we go along, we develop empathy and understanding as the characters do on different sides. That The 100-foot journey, the 30 metres between the two restaurants, does not become a journey anymore. At the beginning of the movie, that 100 feet feels like 100 miles. The differences in culture, the differences in opinion, the gatekeepingness every single thing was keeping these two restaurants apart they were fighting they were not happy that they were in each other's way and madame mallory even goes the way to say on their opening night that you know a customer says to her is there a wedding happening or a party happening across the road and she says no a funeral a death of good taste and that is just a reflection of how she first views the kadam family and how and how she views the restaurant that they're opening and so it is a good thing to remember is that, that a human's natural reaction to something different 
is to say it's bad. It's uncomfortable. It's out of my realm of understanding. And so I don't like it. I'm not willing to change. I'm not willing to accept that something different could be as good or even better as what I do or as what I'm used to. And this is why the Film and Food podcast exists. We believe that through watching movies, through cooking good food and encountering the diverse world of movies, the diverse stories, the diverse food, just the diverse people out there in the world, we can develop empathy and love and become a human race that is more united rather than divided. And by the end of the movie, all of the characters have had a growth journey. While there's some really great themes, some really great characters, some really some really quirky, fun side characters, as I've already mentioned in the script, I think it still has its flaws, fortunately. I think that sometimes pacing is a little bit choppy when it comes to Hassan's storyline, which I really love. Hassan is the very, very, very talented chef of the Kadam family who, through meeting Marguerite, encounters French cooking. He gets a Michelin star book. He learns how to cook French sauces to impress Marguerite and eventually cooks an omelette for Madame Mallory to get a job in her French eatery. And through that job in the French eatery, is able to bring some of his Indian some of his Indian cooking style flair into the French dishes and brings Madame Mallory her second Michelin star, the star she's been waiting so many years for in one year. That's how good of a chef he is. And so we're understanding his storyline. He's adapting, he's learning French cuisine and he's incorporating Indian cuisine into that, this beautiful mix of two different cultures coming together, which perfectly matches the themes of the movie. But seems like Hassan's storyline was only fleshed out about two thirds of the way through. He becomes this amazing chef and he is launched into superstardom after getting that Michelin star. He goes and works in this hyper creative, hyper innovative, almost scientific food restaurant. The ones that create food experiences out of test tubes and with different gases and nitric acids and all the kind of crazy things that people were looking for in France in these almost postmodernism restaurants that explore science and explore different food creations. And he does an amazing job. He becomes this amazing, brilliant, lauded chef, but he almost loses where he comes from. He loses his connection with Marguerite. He loses his connection with his family. He becomes puffed up with pride and it takes a simple Indian dish made by one of his co-workers to remind him, to bring him to tears and remind him of his mother, remind him of his mother who taught him all of the different recipes, all of the different ways that he cooks, everything he's learnt. He learnt from his mother and reminds him that, you know, maybe this isn't for him. Maybe this is not his purpose to go and work in this crazy restaurant, but instead to work together with someone he loves back in the town they're from. And so I think that this storyline is somewhat weak. Pacing is thrown right off. We don't really understand some of Hassan's motivation and it takes up a big portion of the last third of the movie. And the ending with Hassan is somewhat interesting. I was really rooting for Hassan to come back and work for his father's restaurant, to work for his Indian restaurant again to find his roots. Instead, he joins Marguerite on a business venture to become the owners of Madame Mallory's French eatery. And I do understand that, yes, this is now a mix, a blend of Indian and French cooking that will be served in this eatery, but I just can't help but feel like there was something slightly off about the ending. 
Regardless, to say all these things is not to say that I had a bad time. I'm just saying that as I reflected a little bit deeper, as I thought more, some of those things didn't work as well as the other parts of the movie. I think one of the best parts of the movie, probably the second act is the best part of the movie for me. When we see the rivalry between Madame Mallory's restaurant and the Kadam family restaurant, the 100-foot journey, as Madame Mallory gets their menu and buys all of the ingredients that they need so that they have to travel 50 miles to get all their ingredients for when they open. And then we see that Papa does the same thing, buying all the pigeons so that Madame Mallory isn't able to serve pigeon for the minister, which is the minister's dish that he orders every single time. And so the ensuing antics of the two restaurants as they fight and are petty to each other and do whatever they can to tear each other down is where the screenplay really fires and crackles and pops and you are just drawn in and you're really invested into the story. And Hassan's storyline, who is the most open of all the members, balances out that pettiness and brings in that empathetic, open, learning attitude. And so we can kind of manage both. We can manage the openness and the empathy that weaves in the storyline as well as the petty antics, which we love to watch. So I love the second act. I think he uses, I think director Lassie Hallstrom uses great montage here. However, I do think the editing is pretty choppy and want to do a little segment. And this is done in very good taste. I really enjoyed this movie. I have to put that out there. But I did find that there, I did want to have a little segment called Movie Tropes. And there are two really funny movie tropes that happen in this movie that are great. A movie trope is a trope because it works super well. And so it's not a critique on the movie. It's just a funny thing. And I don't know why movies keep choosing to do these exact same things, but these are when Hassan throws rocks onto Marguerite's window to get her attention in the middle of the night. That is a trope we've seen before. And when they unite in the rain and express their love to each other, Hassan and Marguerite, which again is another funny movie trope. So so listen to us discuss these. Movie trope time. <laughs> Throwing rocks at a window to try and get the attention of your loved one. It's got to be up there, right? It's got to be. It's a classic. It's almost like you can't go ahead and have a relationship unless you've Is it love rocks. if there are no rocks on the window pane? I don't know. You better get out there and throw some rocks, babe. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> don't know if the neighbours would like that. You better have good aim. Trope number two. Hmm. Romantic plea. In the rain? In the rain. I mean, most common example. Look, they're, they're tropes for a reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying... <gasps> I've just thought of our next movie. Well, I mean, this first happened in the... Well, not first happened, but very notable example is, of course, The Notebook. Oh, that's not the next movie, though. No, it's not the next movie, but it's an but example you're of... You're right. You're right. You're right. But um, the Kira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice and the dish I will cook you from is... Roast potatoes, because Mr. Collins says, and to which of you do I owe the compliments for the most excellent roast potatoes? And the mother says, Mr. Collins, we are perfectly able to keep a cook. Well, I'm excited. You've been wanting to show me Pride and Prejudice. I have. It's just an excuse. It's not really a food movie, but roast potatoes are the best food, so... I think that small scene counts. All right, we'll add it to the lineup. So just like a cooking experience in Beth and I's household, 
The 100 foot journey is delightful, it's funny, it's engaging, it's warm, it has great, great themes, but it is a little bit messy. It has a few little cliches and, and sometimes the pacing is off. But if you're in for a really great movie night, you're in for a light, enjoyable, heartwarming movie that speaks to the power of being open and empathetic and accepting of different cultures and finding talent in places we wouldn't expect, become broadening your horizons and becoming a better human being and enjoying culture from every single source and not writing off other people from the way they look or where they're from or any single aspect about them, then this is a movie for you. Both Beth and I had a really great time watching this. It is beautifully shot by Oscar winner Linus Sandgren and the French town that the movie is set in is lavishly shot as well as all of the food. The music is by Oscar winning AR Rahman and it has this beautiful piano melody that weaves through and turns into guitar and is upbeat and slowed down and weaved in perfectly as the movie ebbs and flows. And so from a technical aspect, it does a great job. I think some of the weaker points are the script. I think it's interesting to note that the French cast speak English when they're only speaking to each other to help the English audience understand. And it's a bit confusing to work out where they're going with this because sometimes the cast, the French cast will speak French and they'll allow a person to translate into English when it's suitable for the plot and suitable to help the Kadam family. It just feels a little bit strange and a little bit whitewashed. Is it random how they have all the French people speaking English? To each other? Yeah, I mean... It is helpful, but maybe it is subtitles helpful, but would have like been it, cool. It makes sense when Margaret's talking to... Yeah, the family. The family, and she's switching between French and, um, yeah. and English. But yeah, if the chefs are talking to themselves, yeah. they're not talking it's in English. It's uncanny. But yeah. anyway... I would have liked if they would have stuck to just French with subtitles or a mixture of both, um, but that is a little bit messy as well. However, I don't mind mess. I'm a messy chef myself, and I'm sometimes a messy person, and so mess is not necessarily bad. This is a great movie. It's a little bit messy, but if that's its only flaw, it's doing a really good job. The characters, the plotline, the battle between the two restaurants is enough to keep you engaged, to keep you watching and to keep you rooting for the characters and also helping you to grow and empathize and understand that, that it's never great to judge a book by its cover and that in life we should always be lifelong learners who are willing to have open minds, open hearts and to be empathetic and understanding to all people and to engage in all cultures and not write them off based on our own prejudices, pride or arrogance. And at one point in the movie, I made a bet with Beth that I knew what this movie would look like, how it would end, what would happen. And this is what I said. What's the bet, Cook and this lady fall in love? I've seen the movie. You can't. <laughs> what do you say? Percentage. Give me a percentage chance. Like 60, 70%. Okay. They both work at different restaurants, Marguerite and two characters, one working in the... Indian restaurant, one working in French Helen restaurant. Mirren's restaurant, and then they're going to meet, and they've already met, now they've worked out that they work on opposing restaurants, and the relationship is going to develop and reach its critical point, working out whether their love or whether their rivalry comes. How's it going to end? Happy ending. They're going to get together. Where are they going to work? 
uh, at the Indian restaurant. Okay, here we go. And I got a few things right, but I was blindsided. I did get some things wrong and some things happened that I didn't expect. Blindsided. Blindsided. <laughs> Helen and the dad? I mean, they both lost their partners. Match made in heaven. They're both, They're both stubborn, stubborn as anything. They both love food. And the sun. And the sun. Not like the sun in the sky, but mm. Hassan. Yeah. Recognise his genius. You predicted one romance, yeah. but you missed the second. Yeah, I'm glad. I was pleasantly surprised I didn't predict it all. I'm not usually a person who predicts movies, but I like to be proven wrong. They had a little bit of something. Had a little bit of something. A little bit of something extra. Yeah. Extra sweet. Extra sweet. And so this goes to show you that the script, whilst predictable in some areas, is still fresh and vibrant enough to keep you moving along in the story. It's warm, it's engaging, it's funny. It is just a warm hug of a movie that keeps you invested and lets you have a great time. Not all movies have to be high-caliber Oscar bait with scripts that deal with ultra-deep, critical issues of today's society. This is just a fun, light-hearted, beautiful movie with a great message and great food that, again, I recommend anyone can watch. And that is always a win. I asked Beth about her favourite film moments. Um, some good family elements. You know, the family pulls together. They have their role. They kind of are all celebrating at the end. And I feel like our lovely Helen Mirren lady is just going to be enfolded into that family mm. and just benefit from that warmth. I do think Helen Mirren is a highlight, don't you? I think she, I think she plays, yeah, she's not one, no, she's not one dimensional, but like she has the right level of, uh, you know, she brings in a good emotionality to mm. a performance. What you, you're not convinced. Yeah, she's fine. I don't think she's like, wow. It's good. It's good. Yeah, she's, but I, I don't think she think, stands above the other actors. Like, I think, I think we get some solid performances. Yeah, I think it's a good ensemble piece. I think yeah. they all play their role well. They do. Yep. Uh, yeah, I don't think they, I don't think Helen. Which is a credit really to everyone out. else. Yeah, it's yeah. no discredit to Helen. It's no. just that it's a good cast. Mm. Another strength of the movie for me was the cast performances. Of course, we start with Helen Mirren. She plays Madame Mallory, the French overlord of the French eatery across the road from the Kadam family restaurant that they open in France. And she does a very good job here, accent aside. Look, her accent is questionable, but really, you kind of get used to it after the first scene or two. And if you don't pay much attention to it, you largely forget that it's slightly off-putting. And so she does a really good job here. She is able to convince you of her arrogance, but also underneath her arrogance, her deep-seated pain that was and grief that was causing her to act out in such vicious ways to the Kadam family. Causing her to act out in such vicious ways to the Kadam family. Some of her vicious moments obviously include include buying all of the ingredients that the Kadam family needs for their opening night's menu as well as throwing Hassan's dish into the bin. Hassan had created the same dish that they make at Madame Mallory's restaurant for the esteemed minister who comes to visit using pigeon, and as he presents it to the restaurant, 
Madame Mallory tries it, and it is known that if she tries something, she can taste whether a chef has it or not in one bite. She tastes it. It looks like that she knows that Hassan has it. But instead of saying that, she throws the dish completely into the bin. She also complains about every single thing at the Gadam family restaurant and, and brings it up to the mayor as often as possible. We see these cruel moments, but we also understand she has an underlying she has underlying pain, underlying grief, but she also plays that surprised emotion when she finds out that Hassan is a wonderful cook. And we see her, you know, gradually change into a more heartfelted, compassionate, empathetic person as she starts to see the power of love and kindness that this Kadam family is bringing and how she has got it wrong all these years. And so Helen Mirren does a great job here. We actively root against her and then we understand her and move along with her and even enjoy the relationship she has with Papa as the movie goes along. Speaking of Papa, he's played excellently by Ompiri, probably my MVP of the movie. Papa is this wonderful character that is loyal to his family. He's stubborn, but he also is a perfect match for Madame Mallory. His heart softens towards her and towards the French restaurant. And it's wonderful to see him let Hassan go with his love and blessing and approval to go and work in Madame Mallory's restaurant. He's a really, really great character. He has the best one-liners of the movie and Ompuri did a really good job playing him. Manish Dayal plays Hassan with an innocence and an earnestness and just is able to bring his spirit, his attitude of lifelong learning and of cooking and of love and the passion he has for food. He really conveys that really well. And we really root for Hassan throughout the movie, and that is because of Manish Dayal's great performance. We have other characters like Charlotte Le Bon, who plays Marguerite. And Marguerite is a great character in this movie. Uh, however, I do feel like Marguerite has a little less nuance in the shifts between her emotions. Instead of being art, they're more like jagged turns between different emotions in the movie. But she's a really great character. Her relationship with Hassan is really well developed. And so we really root for both of them in this movie. Okay, so we've talked about our highlights. We've talked about our favorite film moments. Now it's time to talk about our favorite food moments. Once again, this movie is full of incredible looking food. We see this in the opening scene of the movie. The opening scene is the characters, you know, struggling through a very crowded Indian street trying to get what? I'm not sure what it is. Is it a sea urchin? I thought it was a sea urchin. It could be. Yeah. I don't know if I would go to that length for a sea urchin, but... We'll see if that's what it really is. Oh, wow. Is that a pun? Sea. Sea (laughs) urchin. And yes, Beth and I didn't really want to eat the sea urchin, but it does play a powerful role in bookending the movie as he cooks with Marguerite the sea urchin again as a way to remember his mother, remember his heritage, and it signifies that Hassan has stopped being something he's not, which was this crazy cook in this crazy scientific experimental restaurant, but instead has now returned to his roots and is learning to cook in a new way based off the experiences from cooking in his family restaurant and in the French restaurant. And we also have a very humorous moment with the sea urchin when about three quarters of the way through the movie, sea urchin is cooked in his experimental restaurant where he is the top chef. And we see it and he goes, no, 
you have ruined it. We laugh as an audience because we understand that that's the real Hassan, the Hassan who how remembers how good the taste of fresh sea urchin is and is a memory that brings him back to his mother and his childhood and his love and passion for cooking. And so that is just a fun little moment that's thrown into the movie. Another one of our favorite food scenes was the French platter that Marguerite gives to the Kadam family right after the accident when they're staying over at Marguerite's house. We learn that the platter is all homegrown and it definitely had Beth and I gazing in awe and wanting to have every single piece of that French platter. All right. <laughs> that is a... Uh... That's a food scene. So, you know, you have got unexpected guests staying in your house and you whip up. What is that? I can see a little dish with sardines, some big fresh tomatoes, a some plate with a selection of, what of looks cheese. Like Boccaccini or mozzarella. Oh, all like goat's cheeses, all like goat's... a chef kind of, you know, a little round of it. Some nice crusty bread, some garlic. Olives. Milk. Salt, a little dish of salt, oh, a maybe. Dish of salt. Anyway, an amazing farm style platter. And I want that... it ready for it. Yeah. Of course, in the first third of the movie, we see an incredible array of Indian cooking. We see the restaurant at the beginning where where Hassan and his mother are learning to cook together. We see Hassan cooking an incredible looking Indian barbecue it's probably not a barbecue but that's the best word i could think of it with all sorts of crayfish and seafood and delicious looking curries and all sorts of dishes in their heathrow home where a plane flies by and blows over his shelter putting rain all over his food obviously not the best cooking location but we admire hassan's commitment to cooking amazing food we have the scene where hassan prepares all five of the basic French sauces to impress Marguerite. And of course, everybody wanted to try all five of those delicious looking sauces. And we also have the omelet. Earlier in the movie, we find out from Marguerite that the way Madame Mallory hires her chefs is not through an interview, but she asks the chef to make an omelet. And Madame Mallory takes one bite of the omelet and she can tell whether the chef has got it or hasn't got it from one bite of an omelet. And we have Hassan with hands that are burnt from French people that have come in and burned down their restaurant. And so we see a beautiful moment where Hassan and Madame Mallory work together to create this beautiful, inspired and different omelette that has touches of French cooking and touches of Indian cooking inspired and weaved into it. And we see that Madame Mallory tastes this omelette and sits right up. She has tasted something incredible and she knows that Hassan has got it. Of course, I already mentioned that we have the amazing looking fish. We have the beef bourguignon. We have so many, so many different kitchen scenes throughout the movie with all sorts of dishes being prepared that make one extremely hungry. This is a movie to not watch if you don't have any food in the house because it will leave you hungry and wanting to make incredible good food which is a key feature and key aspect of any good film and food movie. doesn't make you want to cook yummy food and eat yummy food. Well, then that is a success in my books. We have many scenes of our characters going into the markets, fishing, going and picking and grazing in the fields for mushrooms and red currants. And as you know from last review of Julie and Julia, I just love those scenes because that is one of the key fun parts of being a chef, of being a foodie is going and finding incredible ingredients because that is one of my philosophies of food. 
good ingredients. Honestly, you can take your cooking from good to great by picking quality fresh ingredients. It goes so far to making your dishes come to life. And it is also so fun to go and find that perfect mushroom or that perfect fish or whatever it is. That is just one of the joys of cooking. And I love seeing it portrayed on screen in this movie. There are even two scenes in this movie where our characters cry after tasting a dish. And so I had to ask Beth whether she had ever cried after eating food before. Have you ever had a dish that has made you cry? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Apart for me from either. an excessive amount of onions. Yeah, well, we've talked about that already. <laughs> no need to revisit. <laughs> no. Um, no, I've never had a. I've never had food that has made me cook, cry because of how good it is. Something to aim for. Yeah, I mean, when we have gnocchi, I'm just like bliss. Trent, yeah, bliss. I'm not really crying. No. Anyway. Maybe if you'd been without Noki for a long time and then mm. you got it again, you'd have tears of relief. Mm. I think so. I'm not willing to undertake that experiment, though. No, no, no. Regular Noki. Need regular Noki. A large part of this movie is also about the Michelin stars. Madame Mallory's restaurant has one Michelin star and her life work up until now has been devoted to getting this restaurant another Michelin star. And this has led to an amazing scene when we first see Madame Mallory's restaurant and she comes in with a piece of asparagus wrapped in a handkerchief. She calls the chefs together and she removes the asparagus from her handkerchief and the asparagus droops down, sad and deflated. And she says, This asparagus was served in our restaurant last night. We do not want asparagus that looks like a tired marriage, but we want it to be like a passionate affair. And so... We see how much passion and love and desire she has to get these Michelin stars. And Beth had a very interesting story about the origins of Michelin stars that we weren't sure was true. I'm pretty sure the book was published by, originally, I don't know if it still is, the people who make Michelin tyres. Because the idea is you drive around in your car to go to these really amazing restaurants. Look it up and see if it's a myth or not. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Well, you've just blown my mind, if that's true. <laughs> if the chubby Michelin man is behind the Michelin stars. That's crazy. It seems wrong, but it also seems right. Well. He obviously likes food. Get ready for the fact check. Three, two, one. That's for me to come in and fact check in, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. But now oh you're going to leave that part in. <laughs> and so, yes. I've done the research. The Michelin stars does indeed come from the French tyre company Michelin, who has the Michelin Man as their logo. So, how it happened, in 1900, there were fewer than 3,000 cars on the roads of France. To increase the demand for cars and car tyres, two car tyre manufacturers, brothers Edouard and André Michelin, published a guide for French motorists, which was called the Michelin Guide. During World War I, the publication of the guide and was suspended, and after the war, the Michelin Guide was revised and, and changed to include different categories, including, including restaurants by specific categories, hotel listings, and taking advertisements out of the guide. Then, in 1931, the guide began to award stars for fine dining establishments. The hierarchy was 0, 1, 2, and 3 stars that were introduced. One star was a very good restaurant in its category. Two was excellent cooking, worth a detour. 
and three was exceptional cuisine, worth a special journey. So yes, the Michelin stars came from the Michelin Tire Company. How crazy is that? And in 2005, Michelin published its first American guide, and the stars have become one of the most distinct measures of quality recognized around the world for determining fine dining in a restaurant. This also led me to have a question myself. Can podcasts get Michelin stars? Um, I don't know, babe. I... It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing the newly appointed One Michelin Star podcast. We're hoping for a second, but we'll work up to that. We'll work up to that. One is good. We One learned. is good. One is good. I think we can say we're good. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I challenge you, if you're listening, and if you haven't written us a review on iTunes yet, go into iTunes, give us a five-star review. Give and us then a say, Michelin star Yeah, review. give us a Michelin star and say in the review, I give this a Michelin star. All right. Another humorous moment in the movie is when Hassan is using hay in his food dishes while he's the head chef at this experimental restaurant. And this led Beth and I to another a funny and unique food story involving hay. We've had an experience with hay. Oh, yeah, okay. We went to a seafood restaurant that was a little bit too fancy. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. friends. With friends. Um, and we, it was a set menu and we, a, a pot like a set, came out, which yeah. seemed promising, yeah, exciting, what's going to be menu. in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was mussels and they the, were in a bed of hay. I would say literal loose, hay. it looks like what you get for the garden. And what, anyway, it was weird and the whole, it, didn't fill us it with made confidence. the whole place smell of weird hay and I don't know, just was not that great a time. No. And speaking of humorous stories, Beth shared about her brother Murray and his hypothesis about the spoon being the best thing. His hypothesis about the spoon being the best, being the best utensil to use for eating. Okay, this is the thing Murray has about everyone using spoons. Thinks you should basically eat everything with a spoon. Spoons are... Okay, out of knife, fork, spoon, spoon is your most adaptable. Well, I guess so. Like, fork is second. Obviously, knife is third. You might, but fork, like, you can... Yeah, maybe fork wins. Like, you can... You can't really mm. poke something with a spoon. Mm. But... You know, you spoon for soup, spoon for ice cream. If you're going for liquids. It's true. It makes sense. It does make sense. And beef bourguignon, buff bourguignon. So it's, it's one Michelin star Helen Mirren approved. Yeah. There we go. I think, yeah, I don't know if you can eat everything with a spoon, but a lot of things you Should can. Should be used widely is the hypothesis. I, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> However, with the abundance of food in this movie, I do feel like I was left just wanting a little bit more. In the two previous movies, we've understand the heart and the passion and the method and gone deep diving into the way some of the key dishes in the movie are cooked. And we do get that with our omelette scene. But I think I was wishing for more insight into the Indian side of the cuisine is a dish that is cooked over three days. But that is never mentioned again. We never learn what that dish is. I would have loved to have learnt what that dish is, and maybe some more insight into the food surrounding the Kadam family. Regardless, that is a small, small critique of an amazing movie that is chock to the brim 
with amazing, gorgeous looking food. So don't go into this movie hungry and have lots of snacks and things ready to assage your appetite as you watch this glorious movie full of glorious food. Okay, so we've talked about our highlights, we've talked about our favorite film moments, we've talked about our favorite food moments. Now it's time to go on to this week's film-inspired recipe. And this week is a little bit different because I did not do the home cooking of this week's recipe. My lovely wife, Beth, actually cooked this week's recipe. So I'm gonna pass it over to our conversation as we talked about and tried this week's film-inspired recipe. Okay, honey. So I've cooked the dish this week. Mm. You're about to have your first bite. Um, before you bite in, how would you rate the appearance of this dish? Yeah, I mean, as I was saying while you are cooking it, I think this is what the movie, you know, we are watching the screen and you're like, oh, I want to taste that. I want to eat it. I want to smell it. It kind of was all realized when I was watching you cook it. Nice. So that was good. Now I'm about to taste it. And, oh, I wanted to know smell. Mmm, smell. Uh, it's this beautiful orange colour and you can see all the different herbs and spices. Uh, I'm sure it's going to taste amazing. All right, I'll let you Jasmine have your first rice. bite. Oh, yeah, nice, nice basmati to accompany. Sorry, basmati. Um, okay, right, here we go. go. I think you... <coughs> <laughs> Hey, folks, I did halve the chilli. But the chilli is just right, I think. It's a nice little burn, but it's full of flavour, packs a really beautiful punch. I like the little texture of the peas and the texture of the cauliflower. It's nice and soft and just everything you want a curry to be. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, I'm really happy with it. It's a good mix of, like, the sweetness from the tomatoes... Mm. And spice and food than me. a subtlety um, with the little charred bits on the cauliflower. I really like that part of the recipe that you roast it first. Mm. And where did you find this recipe, babe? Um, this great um, food blogger and recipe developer. Um, her name is Monika Gaudhan. She's an amazing Indian chef and recipe developer. She collects recipes from different places and from her childhood and family. She's a great chef in her own right and she's now living in the UK and does some segments with Jamie Oliver. So I really enjoyed watching her on YouTube today, um, teaching Jamie how to cook butter chicken. So we might have to use her method for that as well at a at a chicken week. I love butter chicken. I think you'd really love this recipe. Anyway, mm. she's awesome. I really enjoyed this recipe and I'm definitely going to be checking out her site more. Um, another strong contender for today, which I actually do have paneer cheese in our fridge for this reason, was a potato and paneer like croquettes almost, like mm. mashed potato, Yum. grate the cheese, mix it up into little balls, which you deep fry and serve in a tomato sauce. I was like, if this Yum. is like an Indian sort of gnocchi almost, as in like a, you know, basically a I potato and that. cheese dumpling. That's well, so good. That's why I've got the paneer. Great. Well, So maybe there'll be a double feature. Yeah, maybe you'll get a double. Who knows? But this one, if it's just this one, is amazing. Thank you so much for cooking. And it's incredible you need to go try it yourself i think this will be regular like this is a doable recipe yeah unlike, yummy unlike the recipes we've given you so far which are heavy duty french classics 
This is a beautiful Indian meal that you're gonna love. You can eat for dinner on a regular occasion and it's full of life and flavor. It's a winner. Enjoy. And with Beth researching for this week's recipe, she thought she found a jackpot when she stumbled upon one of the marketing ploys for releasing this movie back in the day, which was providing recipes apparently from the film. So listen to this conversation as we work out that that wasn't really the case. Okay, so extra bonus tidbit. Mm -hmm. I found that as part of the promotion of this movie, um, whoever the promoters were had teamed up with several chefs, companies, including the Cordon Bleu, Mm -hmm. the Cruzette, some other chefs to provide recipes that go with this film. And I was looking at them, and one of them was a pear tartine. That was not in the movie. Another one was a gratin or dauphinaise. That was not in the movie. Another one was a potato and bean curry, which was not in the movie. So I will not be using any of those recipes. I know, and I was thinking, here we go. It'll be more authentic. It's straight from the movie, like they're giving me the recipe so I don't know what's up with that marketing strategy. They were, they were on the right idea, love the idea, distribute some recipes with the movie, but make them recipes from the movie. Disappointing. <laughs> there was certainly enough to choose from mm. rather than just some generic um, French and Indian food. Mm. They would have been great to go deeper. Yeah. So I'm going to have to get researching. Good luck. And I'm going to take liberties. Like they say, 200 years is long enough. I was intimidated thinking about the long history of both Indian and French food, but for the purpose of this movie, I feel like I have the blessing to just adapt it to our ingredients, our timelines, lifestyle preferences, this will be our version. So we haven't even revealed the name of this dish yet, and it's called Gobi Mata Kisabsi, which is cauliflower and green peas cooked with garlic, tomato, and garam masala. This is an easy, incredible Indian dish that you can have on any weeknight. It does not require much preparation, but it's incredibly delicious, vibrant, it has a wonderful kick to it, and it's just one that you need to try and make at home and add to your regular rotation something a bit different that you can add to your regular rotation of meals in your household. Don't just cook it, let us know how you went with the recipe. We'd love to see your pictures, we'd love to hear how you went with the recipe, so email us on fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com or get in touch on any of our social medias, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Join the conversation, let us know how you went with your cooking. We would be absolutely delighted to see your pictures and hear your stories from this recipe. Well, we've talked a lot about The 100 Foot Journey, it's a warm, funny, inspiring, heartfelt movie with lots of great characters, a great story, and heaps of great food. And so it's time to wrap it all up into a bow. It's time to give our compliments to the chef. The 100 Foot Journey takes its audience on a journey in between two different cultures, two different cuisines, and characters who have to overcome their initial stubbornness and hostility towards each other to become empathetic, understanding and compassionate friends and cooks that adapt, learn and grow together. It's a wonderful movie that I encourage anybody to go and see. So we've reached the time of the podcast where we give our rating. If you're not aware how our ratings work on the Film and Food podcast, this is what we do. 
we give two ratings for a movie in a film and food review. The first one is a food rating out of 10. This is for the amount of food in the movie, the quality of the food, and how the food links into the story. We give a rating out of 10. Then we also give a film rating. This is for the quality of the film, how it all fits together, the film techniques, every single aspect of the film. We give a rating out of 10. So with that said, let me pass it over to Beth and myself as we give our ratings for the 100 foot journey. Do you want to give it a rating as a, a food rating out of 10? Yeah. Um, I will give it, look, I'm always one to give everything full ratings. But I wanted a bit more food. Despite the amount of food, I just wanted it to go deeper. Like understand more about the ingredients, the preparation. Like I was seeing a lot of delicious food, but trying to pick a recipe from it. Like I just, you know, I'm going to be winging it basically because I just didn't get that full process, mm. which is fine as a movie. It was delicious, easy on the eyes. Um, but yeah, I guess I want to get deeper into the cooking. So I'll give it an eight out of 10. Mm, okay. And then give me a, give me a film rating. And film rating, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. I love the scenery. Very satisfying, um, with the double romance and I'll just, yeah, the, it loses a few points just for the slightly, the slight elements of confusion and, and pacing, but overall a very enjoyable watch and would gladly watch again. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I tend to agree with you on the food rating, as in when I talk about what we give a 10 out of 10 for, we're not only talking about quantity of food, but we're talking about what the food means in the story. And I do feel like, you know, there is lots of great food in the movie that we see visually. Like we see all mm. sorts of different yummy looking dishes. And there are some significant dishes. Like, you know, you do have the dish that bookmarks the beginning and the end. Um, Actually, in the omelette making was quite impressive. And so the, we did see some cooking We did see process some, but I and agree. The sauce, the sauce the making. Sauce making. So like, maybe I'll up it to a nine. All right. Beth is up it to a nine. I think I'm going to settle on, like, yeah. I just feel like I wasn't, like, there were good stretches in the movie where I just wasn't getting that much food. So, I don't know. I think I will settle on an eight. Okay, that's fair. I think I'll settle on an eight. It's it's a great food movie, 100%. Um, but I'll settle on an eight. And then I think as a movie... I had a great time. This is not a bad score at all. But I do think it's probably going to be... I'm, I'm torn between a, a 6 or a 7 here. Maybe I just give it a 6.5. I think we can do 0.5 ratings. Go for a 7 because I was going to give it an 8. But then I decided to be bold. <laughs> Meet me in the middle be here. Bold. Be bold. Meet Keep your 7 and I'll do a 6.5. I know. I've learned from this papa about negotiating. Well, it's a nine, a solid nine. For food? No, for film. You've moved it to a nine now from a Match seven. Match me. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with an eight for food, 
6.5 for a movie. It loses a bit. I think, again, like I just think sometimes the pacing and the character choices can be odd. And sometimes the editing and the script is just a little bit funny. Like when, you know, and it's not that noticeable, but sometimes they don't really know how to end a scene. Hmm. Like you just have scenes and like... There's some loose ends that are a bit unresolved. You have the scene when, you know, they're talking about, uh, you know, he's got burnt hands and he's going to Mm. ask for a blessing. And then it ends by like him holding her cheeks and then she just grabs his hand and goes, ah, and then kind of just like peters out for five, ten seconds of just kind of glancing and then it's ended. Um, so it's slightly choppy, but I think I really like the, what it says. I really like the story, but yeah, 6.5 for me. I'll go to seven. Wow, those are some really good scores. To reiterate, Beth gave The 100 Foot Journey a 9 out of 10 for its food and a 7 out of 10 for the film whereas I gave the film an 8 out of 10 for the food and a 6.5 out of 10 for the film. This gives us a score of 30.5 altogether for The 100 Foot Journey, a very, very good film and food movie, one that we both highly recommend. Before we finish, I'm going to pass it over to Beth for the final word. Any witty final word? I don't think so. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I've got nothing for you. That'll do. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm going to use that. What were your final words? My final words are don't be a snob. That's what these movies teach you. They teach you to not be a food snob. There is no higher cuisine. There is no higher uh, palate. You, all food is good food and you have to learn to embrace all the different cuisines, appreciate them for you know, what they are and their flavors and their unique contribution to the culinary world. And, you know, it's good to adapt. It's good to change. And it's good to stick to your roots. So all yeah, of that those great things line are good. At the beginning, it'll be a takeaway restaurant, fast food. No, my father's specialty takes three days to make. Yeah. Okay. So with the food rating, I was waiting for that. I want to know what that dish is. I do want to know what that three day we dish can, is. We might be able to research this. Yeah. So that's about it for this week's episode, a film and food review of the 2014 film, The 100 Foot Journey. We want to say one more thank you and shout out to Susanna for suggesting the movie, The 100 Foot Journey for this week's episode. Both Beth and I had a blast and we thank you so much for bringing this movie to our attention and bringing it on the podcast. Again, we want to shout out and get any listeners and fans suggesting movies to us via email, via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, however you want to do it, we would love to hear your movie recommendations and would love to have you and would love to have you joining in the conversation. Also, if you are as passionate about film and food as Beth and I, then please, we would love to have more guests on this podcast. So please don't hesitate, get in touch, and we'll see what we can do to get you on the show. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, can I ask you a favor? Would you be willing to go into iTunes or the platform that you listen to your podcasts and give a five-star rating and review? We're just starting out on our podcast journey and your five-star ratings and reviews are going to help us so much to get into the ears of everybody who would enjoy our podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, iHeartRadio, TuneIn and SoundCloud. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. 
That's fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. And join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know how you went the recipe. What did you think of The 100-Foot Journey? Give us feedback, suggest a movie to review. The most important thing is to join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening.